Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of His Word in today's message. Church, as we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to the book of 1 John this morning. 1 John specifically chapter 2 verses 18 through 29. Again, that's 1 John chapter 2 verses 18 through 29. You can take your pew Bible in front of you and turn to page 1021. That's going to get you to 1 John chapter 2. You know this, and if you don't know this, you're eventually going to find this out. Not all directions in life will lead you to the desired destination. Not all the directions that you could potentially follow in life are going to lead you to the desired or promised destination. It's just true. There are a lot of voices and a lot of things that will promise that if you follow to a T these directions, you'll end up where you need to be and where you want to be. And sometimes that's just not the case. It happened recently to a tourist who was on a dream vacation in Hawaii, plugged into a rental vehicle, a Ford Edge, where she wanted to go. And the Hawaii News reports that she felt as if she was driving through a big puddle. She got through that big puddle and she ended up in the water. She drove off a local harbor and into the water. And you think that's just sort of an odd story here. I mean, she obviously wasn't paying attention. Well, you might think that unless you knew a little bit more of the story to say that a month earlier, another tourist, a couple, they had a rented van and they plugged into their GPS, their desired destination, and they too drove off into the water. Now, the ends of these stories are good stories in the sense, not that they drove into the water, but they were able to escape out of their vehicles here, but not all directions will lead to your desired destination. Maybe a few years back, you had a surefire investment. Friend, acquaintance, family member said, if you take this amount in five years and five months, whatever the promise was, and then you just watch your principal dwindle and dwindle and dwindle, not all directions lead to the desired destination. Maybe a few years back, you were promised your dream job. If you just take my advice and follow my directions, you're going to be set for life if you sign up for this workplace. Six months later, you realized it was a dream job, but only in the sense it was a nightmare of a job. Not all destinations lead, not all directions lead to desired destination. This is what John's talking about in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. He wants us to stay on the course and we can veer off the course and he speaks very very passionately and clearly about this when he says in verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you in contrast, have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it 
And because no lie is of the truth, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. I want you to see two truths from this passage and then the passage that's going to follow later on in the message. It just picks up at verse 24 and follows. Watch out. Watch out, Christians, for the distractions along the path of life. This is what John tells us in essence here. Watch out for distractions. Not all the voices that we can hear and not all the voices that we heed will lead us to a desired destination. Some of those voices will lead us to a dead end destination. Some of us, if we follow, will lead us into an ocean of unbelief and an ocean of apostasy. This is what John is saying here. When I was a young teenager and first got a Bible and first became a Christian, I had a student pastor that gave me some really good advice. And it was simply, when you read the Bible, it's easy to read it and not pay attention. So one thing that can help you pay attention is to read with a pen in hand, to read with a pencil in hand and mark it up. So at the age of 13, I would read a chapter and I would have this system of underlining things with a straight line and squiggly lines and stars in the uh, margin and exclamation points in the margin. And one thing that's been consistent, if you look in the last uh, however many years that is, from 13 to 44, if you look, you can see that my Bibles are marked up, but there hasn't been a consistency in all those annotations. And all the way that I use those is just what I feel in the moment that I'm writing and engaging with it. But what has remained consistent is the use of the punctuation mark, a question mark. You look at all my Bibles, there are times where there are just question marks in the side of the margin. What, what exactly is going on here? I, I probably would put three question marks in this passage here when I was reading it at 13. And even now, I mean, do you have to engage with this? What is he talking about the last hours? What's he talking about the Antichrist? What is he talking about when he puts an S on Antichrist and talks about the Antichrist? What do we do with this passage? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Let's talk about each of those one by one. The last hours, that could throw you off, couldn't it? You, you could hear the last hours and say, now he says, he's writing in the last hours and that's in the first century and now we are living in 2023. So we got over 2000 years or approximately 2000 years. Was he wrong in utilizing the last hours? When you're walking through the New Testament, there are times where the last hours are used to describe the end times prior to the coming and second coming of Jesus. But other times, like this time, the last hour is used not in the second coming of Christ, but to describe a period of time that is different from the way that we mark time. God is eternal. God is timeless. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 tells us that truth that for God, who's not bound to central standard time or eastern standard time, for, for God, a, a thousand years is but a day. And one day is like a thousand years to us. So the way that this timeless, eternal God sees time is going to be different than the way that we see time. So when he says the last hours, he's talking about our time as God conceives it. The writer of Hebrews, he utilizes a very similar phrase that's helpful to us in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet. But verse 2, in these last days, again, first century, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the last days here. John, 
first century is talking about the last hours here. What he is saying is, is the last hours and the last days can be used to describe everything that comes after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. We're living in the last days. We're living in the last hours. Now, we don't know exactly then when Christ is going to come back, but that's not what John's concern is. He uses this term that many antichrists have come in verse 18. That's another question mark. One of the ways that we know we're living in the last days and the last hours is that many antichrists show up on the scene. He uses antichrist and he uses antichrist with an S. John's the only one that does this. He's the only one three times in 1 John, one time in 2 John, where he puts an S at the end of antichrist. The antichrist is talked about. He talks about him in Revelation chapter 13, a person who will oppose, it's not hard, antichrist. He's against Christ. There will be a historical person that's against Christ here. Who is that person going to be? Guess what? I don't know. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 8 talks about the man of lawlessness, the antichrist. Who is that person going to be? I don't know. You can look back at 500 AD and 1000 AD and 1500 AD and you can look at 2000 AD and there have been people that have opened up the word of God and said, I am sure that this is who the Antichrist is going to be. And all kinds of political leaders and religious leaders get thrown out here. Hey, this is helpful for you to know. We are not on the planning committee of the second coming of Jesus. We're on the reception. We're on the reception committee. So we don't, have to, we, don't, we don't have to spend endless time conjecturing about the identity of the Antichrist here. And that's actually not what John's talking about. He's talking about the spirit of someone who's against Christ and the Antichrist, plural, who are teaching false doctrine in that actual church, leading people astray. He begins to describe that they were with us, but they've gone out from us. And because they've gone out from us, they were never with us. So they're posers, pretenders. There are those who can talk the talk, but they truly have not walked in the walk. There are people who profess that they actually are not believers. And there are moles in the midst of the early Christians that are leading them astray. How did they do that? Well, we don't have a full syllabus. We don't have a full curriculum of all the false teaching, but we've got some hints and it's in the spirit of the Antichrist, verse 19, they went out from us, but they're not of us, but they've been of us. They would have continued with us. Then he talks about the, who's the liar who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So here's the, here's the deception that's going on. We've got people that are teaching the lie who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. This, are, this is the spirit of the Antichrist here who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. We got, we've got to bear down on this. We've got to give our focus to exactly what John is talking about in this passage here. So what John is saying is, is that the false teaching that these, these teachers, these moles in the midst of Christians 2,000 years ago, they were denying that Jesus is the Christ. Now, it's easy for us to hear Jesus Christ and to have a false equivocation of Jesus Christ, first name, last name. That's a title, Jesus Christ, uh, David Eldridge. It's like, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ, this is the anointed one. Christ means the Messiah. 
So what they're denying is the Messiahship. What they're denying is that Jesus is the Christ here. It seems to be, it's hard exactly to pin this down, but it seems to be that one of the earliest temptations of false teachers was to say, Jesus is fully God, but he is not fully man. 100% God, but pretending to be man. And this is one of the early heresies that is floating around in that first century world here. And it seems as if what John is saying is there are people in your midst that are denying the humanity of Jesus, sort of like Clark Kent and the relationship of Superman. Superman shows up on the scene. He's fully an alien, but as long as he puts on the glasses and he's working there, he's just a mild-mannered reporter here. And so you have people that are saying, Jesus, fully God, but he's actually not fully man. And that's a problem. It it is a problem to diminish the humanity of Jesus or the divinity of Jesus. Actually, it's a problem to take away anything from Jesus. When you start subtracting from Jesus, you, my friend, are off the trail of orthodoxy. You're off the trail of a path that will lead us to his abundance and to blessing. And that That is an issue. So any teaching inside the church, any teaching outside of the church that diminishes the importance of Jesus, diminishes the role and the work of Jesus, you can be assured that you're off the trail. A couple of weeks ago, Danielle and I took our boys and we were in the Smoky Mountains and we did a little bit of hiking. And as you're going through the hundreds of miles of trails that are there in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, guess what? One of the signs that you're going to see again and again and again is stay on the trail. Stay on the trail. If you go out to Oak Mountain this this, uh, afternoon, there are going to be parts of Oak Mountain that say, stay on the trail, stay on the trail. So John is saying to us, 2,000 years down the road, there are Christians that are tempted to get off the trail. And guess what? We can be tempted to get off the trail. Somebody inside the church, somebody outside of the church begins to say, you know, Jesus, he's really inspiring. You know, Jesus, he's a great moral teacher. You know, Jesus, he is somebody that you want to follow and learn from. But this whole thing of him being the son of God, not from me. Don't be deceived, you're off the trail. You're off the trail when we give ourselves to the diminishment of who Jesus is. Or or someone comes to you and says, hey, Jesus is, he's a great way to the Father. He's a great way to a relationship with the Father. And let me tell you, he is a great way and there are other great ways to the Father and you get in the great way of Jesus and I've got the great way of another way, another religion. I got a great way of my own works here and what works for you is great and what works for me is great. You need to know that when we give ourselves to that teaching, we diminish the exclusive nature of Jesus, we are off the trail. And John is saying, Stay on the trail, stay on the trail. If we take Jesus out and we begin to to diminish his role, it makes this church be nothing more than a social club. Jesus is the center of our worship. Jesus is the center of why we go and, and tell the world of Jesus. Diminish him, hey, We don't need to gather here. So he is the center in every way. There's a Dutch theologian in the 19th century. His name is Herman Bavink. And he he said it 
I think in a beautiful way, just kind of summarizing the spirit. Christ is Christianity itself. Hear that again. Christ is Christianity itself. He stands not outside of it, but in its center without his name, without the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, there is no Christianity left. In a word, Christ does not point out the way to salvation. He is the way itself. You know why? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So when we diminish Jesus, we diminish the Father. We, we diminish Jesus, we're off the trail. This is a warning that he gives us in these passages here. It's a warning that we need to hear. He is saying, watch out. But this is not all he says in this section of scripture. He also says, hey, stay rooted. Don't just watch out, but stay rooted in Christ to keep your footing along the path of life. So if there is a negative admonition, don't get off the trail. Here we have this positive admonition, stay, stay with Christ, walk with him intimately. You see that starting in verse 24. Will you read along in your Bibles as I read, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. What's the promise, John? It's eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no longer any need for someone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you abide in him. And now little children abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Have you ever read the Bible and you're reading a chapter or you're reading a section and you get to the end of the chapter and you get to the end of the section and you say, I'm not exactly sure what I just read. It's true for all of us. Some of it's because we're, we're taking a Holy Spirit inspired document that was written thousands of years ago in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and we're translating it in some of the way they think and some of the way that they order things are a little bit different to us. But one tip with a passage like this, where it's easy to get finished with it and say, I'm not exactly sure I know everything that's going on in that passage, is to, is to have a pen in hand or have a pencil in hand and to underline and to circle the words that he just repeats again and again. What is repeated in the Bible is what's being emphasized in the Bible. And what word in the English Standard Version I just read to you, what word just stands out? They got, John used it again and again. If you were John's eighth grade English teacher, you would tell John, John, here's a thesaurus. Use another word. What is the word that you see? What is the word? Remain. What's the word in the, in the English Standard Version? Y'all, what's the word in the English Standard Version? Abide. There we go. Good job right there. Some of you, some of you have another translation other than the English Standard, and it's going to be, instead of abide, it's going to be remain. And there's a dual meaning to that word here. One meaning is union with Christ. The other meaning is we're communing with Christ. So we're united with Jesus and we're communing with Jesus. We have an intimate relationship with him. I love the way Eugene Peterson 
He was a former pastor that's in heaven now. He has a paraphrase called the message. It's a really helpful paraphrase of the Bible in so many places. I love what he says here. Now children, stay with Christ. Stay with Christ, live deeply in Christ. Then we'll be ready for him when he appears, ready to receive him with open arms. I love this phrase, with no calls for red face guilt or lame excuses when he arrives. Stay with Christ, remain with Christ, abide with Christ. I hope you can get this. It's a very important concept. John uses it in John chapter 15, where he tells us to abide with him. He tells us in John chapter 15, that apart from him, we can do nothing. This is one of the themes of John's ministry. In verse 18 to verse 28, you're gonna see that word seven times. In all of 1 John, if you counted the times in the English Standard Version, you're gonna count them 23 times. So one way to understand the emphasis of John is that word, abide, 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 abide. Remain in him, stay committed to him. Now, what's a way that we can illustrate this? It's, it's hard to illustrate because we're illustrating a relationship that's wholly unique. Not a single one of us have a relationship with a perfect being. None of us do, not on earth, not on earth. All of our human relationships are two people that are imperfect. What we're trying to analogize here is our relationship to a perfect God. I do think though, even with the limitations of how we can uh, have an analogy for this, I do think it's helpful for us to think about some of the most intimate relationships that we have. Not everyone in the sanctuary is married, I understand that. But you can understand and you've seen that, that, that union that occurs when a husband and a wife, a bride and a groom, they come to the altar and they say with their, their best clothes on, the nice suit and the beautiful dress, they're two sinners that are walking down the aisle really dressed up, but ultimately you know that they are going to, over the course of the years, be the people that know each other the best. And if you know your spouse the best, that means that your spouse is going to know, well, it's gonna know what's true about every person. That is that we are imperfect. There's no one that knows your imperfections better than the person that you say, I do too. Over time, those imperfections and those weaknesses and our sin, it can rub off on the other person. And so for us, we're, we're married to one another, but for the intimacy of that relationship to remain at the forefront of the relationship, we have to, well, we have to invest in the relationship, don't we? We do. If we neglect that holy gift, that neglect over time will lead us to where we're further and further away from one another and we become roommates or ultimately you become two people that are living just two separate lives. Now, you are still married to each other. It very well may be that there is lack of intimacy, there's lack of communication, there's lack of understanding and forgiveness in that relationship and you can still be married but the joy of the marriage is lost. The intimacy of the marriage is lost. Now, follow me here. We are united to Christ. We walk with Christ. We are the people that are imperfect. And in our imperfection, we can grow distant. Jesus never grows distant from us. We choose to stray. We choose to walk off the beaten path. Now, how can we, this is a great invitation for all of us because in the great hymn writer, we are all prone to wander. We're all prone to leave the God that we first love. 
So how can we come back to him, to abide in him and to remain in him? Can I just give you three practical things of, 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 for you to chew on as you leave here this Sunday morning? The first is, is to rest fully in him. The, the first invitation this morning is you resting fully in him. I love Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It's just a passage that every time I read it, it's just this, this, this wonderful reminder to us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ is your home, Christian. Christ is your home. You know what a home is ideally? A home is a place of rest. A home is a place of trust. A home is a place after you've been gone out of town for a week and you come back and you lay your head on your own pillow and you go to sleep and you hear those familiar sounds of the ice maker and you hear the hum of the air conditioner. And it's when you're in your own bed and you're asleep, you think to yourself, you know, something's right. Now, of course, our homes, we don't live in a neighborhood that's called the Garden of Eden and air conditioners go out and water heaters have to be replaced. But there is something about that place that you've lived in for years and years and years with a rich memories. It's a place of rest. So all that we feel is ultimately just a foreshadowing of what we're going to ultimately feel when we're with Jesus forever and ever in his abode. And so while we're here on earth, I love the words of a Presbyterian pastor by the name of John Ortberg that talks about Christ being our perfect home. When he invites us, when we abide, we make a home in a place. When we abide, we make a home in a place. We linger there and our inner person gets shaped by our abode. We can abide in fear, we can abide in ambition. We can make a home in fear. We can make a home in ambition. We can abide in anger. We can abide in lust or we can abide in God. Question, where are you making your home? Where are you making your home? I oftentimes quote St. Augustine in what really was the first autobiography in his book called Confessions. He says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. This old country music song that says we're looking for love in all the wrong places. And that, that's just a 20th century version of what Augustine was getting at. We are looking for love. We're looking for home and rest in all the wrong places. So an invitation to abide with him is to come back to him, your perfect home, the one who welcomes you, who desires to commune with you. So if you're off, you're off the beaten path today, if you're off the well-trodden path and you're in the brush of your own sin, you're in the brush of ignoring God, I'm here to tell you, he welcomes you back. He welcomes you back to his embrace, like, like the father who's longing to see at, at the distant horizon his son come back from the foreign land. So your heavenly father is waiting for you to find your home in him. That place of deep communion, that place of deep rest. We rest in him, but we also listen carefully to him. What does it mean to abide with him? We, we cannot abide unless we listen carefully. If you abide in me, John 15, 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
I don't have time to say this, but I'll just say it in passing. This is not an invitation to God being a genie in the bottle. This is not God as a divine vending machine here. But it is an invitation that when the words of God dwell richly in us, we actually can follow his way and follow his will. We can't do that apart from his word. So one of the ways that we remain in him, one of the ways that we abide in him is is as simple as go back to the relationship that you have with a friend, go back to the relationship you have with a spouse. How do you get to know your spouse better? How do you get to know your friend better? Of course, you talk and you listen. You talk to and you listen to. This, my friends, is prayer. It's not just talking to God, but it is listening to God. It's listening to his word in any kind of of true friendship and any type of true growing relationship. You listen to the other person. And of course, has there ever been a time where where it is is easier for us to be distracted? There, There are a million things that can distract you when you walk in to your home and you have a communication, you have a conversation with a, a son or a daughter, you have a conversation with a mom or a dad or a spouse. There's so many siren songs vying for our attention here, be it our phone, be it the television, be it just our mind. Sometimes it's hard for us to to zone in and to to truly listen. So, So we listen to God through his word, which then draws some questions out of us. Are we carving out time to talk to him in prayer and to listen to him in the word. This is not something we do accidentally, Christian. To remain in him, to abide in him, means that sometimes we have to get up out of the bed when we wanna sleep in and talk to him in prayer. Sometimes it means we put down the phone where we're scrolling through Instagram and we say, you know, we never have time to pray. We never have time to listen to the God and his word. And we have, just, we have to flip the phone off and put it aside and we have to open up the word of God and remain in him and abide in him. Are you growing in your thirst and your hunger for the word of God? Or would you say, just honestly, I've neglected that part of my life. Today's a fresh day. Today's not a day of guilt. Today's a day of an invitation. Today is a day to tell you God has not stopped talking. He's not left you. And so turn to him, listen to him, open up the word. Oftentimes I tell people, if it's been a long time since you've been in the Bible, a good place to go back to is the gospel of John. And just open up John chapter one and read it and write your own circles and your own stars and your own exclamation points and your own question marks. And close it and talk to God. And then open up the next day. And then open it up the next day. So are you resting fully in him? Are you listening carefully to him? And finally, hey, this is the last word, serve him gladly. I think it's fitting, John in this section ends in verse 29. So we're gonna let John have the last word of the message here. What he says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. One of the ways that we show that we are not the moles, one of the ways that we show that we've not given ourselves to the false teaching of the world, one of the ways that we show that we're sons and daughters of the most high God is by putting into practice what he teaches us in his word and in prayer. So you know he's righteous, put that righteousness into practice. 
I have no idea what that means for all the hundreds of people that are here sitting in all of these pews here because it can mean a myriad of things for us that are here. But I do know this, that one of the ways that we grow in intimacy with those that we love is by serving them, by serving them. And one of the ways that we grow in intimacy with the God that we love is by, by putting into practice what he teaches us in his word. So there's some of you here that just need to hear the greatest commandments to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And today it very well may be that you showing kindness to a stranger as you practicing righteousness. It's just taking a swing in the cage, just growing in godliness. It might be today that, that you being patient with, with a child, that it's, it's just been hard the last week. It's been a phase and a stage and you just showing a little bit of patience as, as, you, as you practicing righteousness, playing the scales at the piano, growing in godliness. It very well may be that, that you just stepping up, it's easy maybe to get home and to check out, but maybe you stepping up and just taking a little bit more activity and the, and the resources or excuse me, the, the, the chores that need to be done, you stepping up, it's just, again, it's just practicing righteousness, growing in godliness. It might be that there's a neighbor that over the course of this last week, you've not seen in, in uh, you know, days or maybe even months and you just need to knock on the door and just check on them, see how things are going. Maybe it's you fixing a meal for somebody who is sick. Maybe it's you getting home and writing a note to someone that's discouraged. Maybe it's you this very day taking the next step to offer forgiveness to someone that's crossed you and wronged you, or maybe you wronged them and you crossed them. And maybe it's just you practicing righteousness, putting into practice the word of God that he teaches us. And when you do that, when you listen to him in his word and when you listen to him in prayer, when you put into practice what he tells us and you rest fully in him, you know what you're doing? You're traveling the road that leads us never to a dead end destination. You, you in that moment are staying rooted in Christ and you're keeping your footing along the path. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit dawsonchurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.